everybody. Welcome back to The Experts. We just concluded a series on The Conjuring Universe. You can go back and listen to all of them. You can pop in, listen to one here and there. It's not, yeah, it's it's a choose your own adventure of listening. Yeah, honestly, I'm like kind of sad that we're not talking about The Conjuring right now. Oh. But there's really not that much more to say about it. Yeah, not until The Devil Made Me Do It comes out. And then yeah. and then we'll we'll revisit. Yeah, we will revisit it. It was funny though, uh, a couple nights ago, Griffin and I watched John Carpenter's Vampires. You mentioned this, but tell our yeah. friends in the audience. I will tell the people in the audience the um like the big the main vampire, the James Woods. By the way, did not care for this movie at all. This is not an endorsement by any means, hmm. but the like big bad vampire he has to kill is named Valak. Which is amazing. I guess somebody did their homework who wrote The Conjuring and like knew that there was a demon. But if you Google Valak, you do get pictures of the nun. You get pictures of the nun. There's like different spellings too. And you can see like wood carvings of the old demon <laughs> yeah it's so. from the lesser key of solomon whoa there's a lot going on with this this is too i don't know i'm reading a little bit about it right now and it's just just from the wikipedia page alone i would need ed warren's ghost to come and explain it to me the brilliant demonologist Oh gosh, or just Patrick Wilson maybe can give us some cliff notes. I think he might be more knowledgeable about this stuff than the real Ed Warren was. What I heard about Ed Warren is that he's actually an idiot. That was what we learned in the course of our series. Yeah. But we're not, we're not, technically we're not talking about The Conjuring anymore. We have a whole new thing, which is actually an old thing, which Mm -hmm. is where we get a random... Uh, suggestion inspiration from the random word generator yeah and we did it right after we stopped recording so I don't think we got our random word on the air last night or last week when we did it no we didn't get it on the air but I did put it in the show notes oh good okay so, so people knew what to expect about so the people who were like following along who really do their homework will yeah know what we're talking about and our suggestion this week was air. Yeah, that's why I said we didn't say it on the air in such a, you know, winky way. That is really good. And I didn't pick up on it, even though I am looking at your face. I'm grateful for it because I thought, oh, that was stupid as soon as I did it. <laughs> um, what, are, what was your first thought when you heard the suggestion of air? My first thought was exactly what I ended, what we landed on. Yeah, I, me too. It was the only, so once again, Irene and I have picked the same topic <laughs> based on a one word suggestion, which I have to say, I think is cool. I think so too. It's, it, it just uh, reinforces something we already knew, which is that we're friends. Yeah. And like, we have, I guess, pretty similar taste on some things because- it's happened twice based on a one word suggestion. Wow. Pretty nuts. Okay. So what we both decided to talk about was Is the contrails. Band. Just kidding. What? Okay. What did you say? I said contrails. <laughs> oh my. That would have been a better one, actually. 
<laughs> I wish I had picked that. Okay. Anyway, I didn't. We both picked the French band Air. The yes, we went super literal, and it's what immediately came. I like heard the music as soon as you said what the suggestion was. Yeah, me too. And I also, um, but I think we did come up have like different because when I think of Air, I think the first song on the Virgin Suicide soundtrack. Like that's like the first thing that goes in my brain. Yeah. And you think their first album. So we're talking about something about slightly different aspects of the band air. Yeah, but you know what, like it, it le- they lead into each other so nicely. The ebb and flow, the, the inhale the, and exhale. Yes, the, that's right. The, um, I don't know what that thing is called in yoga when you like put your thumb over your nostril and, and you like breathe really like and oh yeah you breathe in with one and you breathe out with the other yeah I could actually use that I feel a little congested I can't wait to go I know I've said this before I feel like a broken record I cannot wait to get into like a group fitness class I'd love to sit on the ground and do some shit like that I'd be so happy I think I'm going to go. I'm feeling since I got, I, this is not, I'm not telling people what to do. Cause I will, you will get people killed if it seems like that. I, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't even say anything about it at all. I, um, I'm a couple weeks out from my first shot and I did book a class for next week. Okay. That's kind of, cause I have my first shot too. Same thing. I got a couple weeks ago and I'm just kind of like, I mean, I'm not, like running around with my mask off I'm not booking flights I'm not eating in restaurants even outdoors Mm -mm. but like I don't know I'm just like a little bit more you know I got my hair cut I just like did stuff that like I wasn't doing before this happened yeah your hair looks great thank you so does yours thanks I got mine cut a couple weeks ago too I feel, I feel good about the safety precautions of where I'm going, the number of people that are going to be there, windows open, masks I mean, on. Nobody um, wants anybody to get hurt. Everybody wants everyone not. to be happy and safe. And yeah, I feel like and, we still have that like little bit of like pandemic, um, like kindness and thoughtfulness in what we're doing. I hope so. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, but I I did pick Moon Safari, which is the first album of Airs. Yeah. So just for a, like a little background, if anybody is unfamiliar, band uh, the band Air started in 1995 with two Frenchmen, Nicholas Godin and Jean Benoit Dunkel. Dunkel. Amazing job, I think. Thank you very much. Um, they were, uh, Godin was uh, an architecture student and Dunkel was studying math. You got a lot of it. Dunkel. Um, and then the sweet sounds of uh, electronic um, music <laughs> brought them together. Yeah. Like and they were like, let's, let's create uh liquid architecture that uh, gets streamed right into your brain. (laughs) Um, So this came out in 1998. And did you listen to this one at all? 
Um, I mean, are- I'm familiar with it. I'm familiar with the famous song from this album that I'm sure you'll talk about, but I didn't like go and listen to it for this episode. Um, I This came to me at a time when I was in a very deep Francophile stage. I was a teenager. This came out in 1998. So um, that would have been... Uh, I feel like I got this before my senior year of high school. So uh, um, we were living in Las Vegas at the time and I was so into anything French. I would like, I had the French Kiss soundtrack. This is how desperate I was. I would like, um, I got the French Kiss soundtrack like for Christmas or something. And I remember going to the store and like looking for albums by the different bands or singers that were on the back of the CD. I was like listening to Serge Gainsbourg. I loved Serge Gainsbourg also when I was in high school. I Um, loved, yeah. Yeah. He made me feel very mature and sophisticated. Very sophisticated, very mature. Even though I feel like I didn't really get into like the good surge stuff until I got a little bit older. I. Um, what's the good surge stuff? Uh, I would say like Melody Nelson. What were you listening to when you were younger? Comic strip. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I just was like kind of, I feel like my surge surged when I was like 16 or 17 and then I was like au revoir <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I I mean I just kept going in I we we had um we had the internet at home not to brag but we did and when I got home from school I'd be the only one in the house and I would put on like French radio stations that I could listen to online and I got Dimitri from Paris from like Columbia House Music Club or something and weirdly Del Close is on the Dimitri from Paris album really yeah from his because he did an album in like the 50s called how to speak hip or yeah you know that yeah and they say he Dimitri from Paris samples that throughout it which oh, really? was shocking to realize yeah later in yeah. life when I was at IO in Chicago wow but this one really in particular got me and this was like the height of I don't know like teenage wistfulness and like thinking about all of like the romance I wanted to have in my life and like what kind of adult I wanted to be. And I, I imagined myself very like Parisian and it didn't even have to be Paris. Like I would go to Provence. Like I would, I remember we had Ooh, a- Oh, wow. I mean, who would turn their <laughs> nose up at Provence? I prefer, I honestly prefer Provence. I mean, that, those are the two sides of myself. Like I they're imagine- the two sides of every woman. It's true. I'm You're a little bit like Charlotte. You're a little bit Samantha. Exactly. <laughs> a little Jackie O, a little Marilyn. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> a little Paris, a little Provence. And when I imagined myself living in like a provincial fantasy, of course, I was wearing like white dress I'm walking among the lavender I'm hanging white sheets for my older husband I had like a whole 
probably not very feminist fantasy of what that is. Yeah, me too. Because that's, I mean, that's like part of the French, like. Oh my God. I, yes. When I was 17, I got this, like my parents took me to Italy and I bought a straw sun hat from like a guy on the street and that sun hat did more it like (laughs) brought about such like regressive tendencies in me I can't even begin to express it like it was just like it had a ribbon on it I was just flouncing around I was like I just live in this hat now I I wear this hat when I'm like collecting I don't know I imagine that too like I would have like a basket and like collect lavender to like dry out and like that's the only thing I have to like that's like my my version of dryer sheets or something I don't even know what they do in anywhere provincial but I was like "Mm, that's me walking around in a field the the fantasy is so strong and we we had moved to Vegas um right before my sophomore year of high school and we had a we had a pool in the backyard which was like just incredible and like everybody in Vegas has a pool and include including us which was just incredible and I remember just teenage daydream diving into the pool and holding my breath to sit at the bottom of the pool with my eyes open, looking up at the water, um, like fully imagining this fantasy. Yeah. While I had my speakers from my bedroom, like bumping this music into the backyard. Oh my God, that sounds like heaven. I actually recreated that a little bit today because I did go to my parents' pool. And in preparation for this episode, I did listen to the soundtrack to Virgin Suicides. And it's really good music to listen to at the pool. I think all air is like perfect pool music. I think so too. Perfect lounging music. It's like good for um, like a cocktail lounge, good for a daytime pool. It's good good for, yeah. It's background, it's ambient. It's yes, very ambient. And then I found, uh, because it was on like the Pitchfork best um, albums of the 90s. Oh my God, those days. I feel like, don't you feel like it used to things used to be kind of easier to be like oh like if it's on pitchfork or like on these like five blogs like it's good and like I'll just like that's my personality and like I'm done yeah like when you could trust people's tastes where there yeah, were like we had trust in media. exactly where <laughs> it's not like oh this this blog is um you know co-signed by this record company so anything that comes through from that pipeline they're going to give 8.49 stars or whatever oh my god or like if they don't give this thing nine stars then like everyone on the internet is gonna like pile on and like try to like murder the writer so they have to just like say it's good I don't know if that happens that's based on something I think that may have been Gamergate I don't really understand it I just saw something earlier today. I don't know who the writer is. I don't remember. I was looking at it on Twitter, but I guess some writer got like four and a half stars on Goodreads and from some reviewer and like dragged them and was posting about it. Again, these are the things I scroll through. I pause for a second. I'm like, the world is crazy and I move on. (laughs) It's just gotten so shitty. I mean, I just feel like there's just too much like artists interact with critics too much audiences interact with artists too much audiences interact with critics too much it's just like this mess and it's too it's so 
it's like too populist I think like it's I can't deal with it I feel like I'm completely stuck culturally first of all I fully regressed to my like everything that I liked when I was like 17 and I'm completely stuck there frozen in time and I will never mature or grow in any way do you think that most people have that to a certain extent? I think people have a year. Like, I think everyone is like, oh, like this is when I was like at my height, when I most knew myself, when I was having the most fun, whatever. I don't know if that was when I was having the most fun, but I do feel like that was when I was like the most, like absorbing the most, like culturally. And yeah. when I was like the most interested in things, like right before I graduated from high school. And then when I went to Chicago, I feel like, this is I'm borrowing this phrase from my friend but I feel like I kind of went into like a cultural blackout and then um I just sort of like re-emerged right where I left off and I never looked back yeah um yeah totally um but the uh the pitchfork review from what uh they they rated it 46 on the 100 best albums of the 90s and they said that it is an album infamous for being the best makeout album of the decade and i do think okay. that that's true yeah that that applies yeah um it is very sexy yeah it's like kind of melancholy which is like the perfect combination it's hopeful yeah. it like there's a couple that make you want to dance but mostly it makes you want to just like sit <laughs> Yeah, it's like you don't, you're not going anywhere. You're just kind of like chilled out. Yeah. Yeah. But again, um, I do think that it really did like shape that image of myself that I had as somebody, I don't know. I, I imagine that maybe I would like live and work in France someday. And I really, I wanted, I wanted that. Yeah. I weirdly never wanted to live in France. Did you want to live in any foreign country? I wanted to live in Italy. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wanted to live in England. And I always wanted to live in New York. My big regret mostly is that I never moved to New York more than anything than European countries. Do Um, you think that you would do that now? I would definitely do it now. If the opportunity came up, I would for sure do it. Um, I mean, I don't think it's like, it's obviously not impossible. It's, I live in America. It's like an American city. I just have no like reason, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it was something I always thought I would do. And like, as the years go by, I'm like, God, I can't believe I never did that. That was like, definite. I was like, definitely going to do that, you know? Yeah. But, you know, there's still time. I'm not dead yet. Exactly. And I mean, you could do that in 30 years. I love to see active seniors in NYC. Yeah, maybe I'll just move there to be an active senior. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go into another cultural blackout for 30 years, pop out, and then I'll do like mall walks. <laughs> <laughs> And then I'll be an active Parisian senior or Provence, uh, provincial senior. You'll go back and forth. You have a one place in Paris. You'll have a place in Provence. You'll have like these like dual personalities that you'll still be trying to reckon with. God, And that'll be your legacy. 
Um, can I tell you about when I finally did make it to Paris? Please. So I'm, I'm going to paint you a picture here. I'm 19 years old. I have been with a boyfriend for almost two years at this point. It's rocky to say the least, a rocky relationship. We, I finally, I finally get some nerves up. I break up with the boyfriend. Weeks go by. His mother calls me out of the blue. And she says, this guy, can we come up with a fake name for him? Patrick? Great. She was like, I know that you and Pat, I'm going to call him Pat. I know that you and Pat um, always dreamed of going to Paris together. Well, I bought you a ticket He's uh, to go with him. What? And I, I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, it was always your dream. You've always wanted to go there. And I didn't think that it would be right if he went there by himself. So he's planning to do this trip. So I bought you a ticket so that you could go with him. And did she know you broke up? No, he didn't tell her. That's the story anyway. Anyway, I went. (laughs) You went with him? I did. And I learned some very valuable lessons, but I kind of had this thing. I got the, I, I was in this panic mode where I, I was like, I don't know. I was so lost at that period of my life. And I didn't know like what my path was going to be, or I felt like I was floundering in college. I didn't like have a good job. I was like struggling to pay my rent. I was, it, I, I was kind of in a dark place and I had this feeling of like I'm not going to get an opportunity like this again and she already did it and I didn't have the nerve to like tell her that we were broken up and that it wasn't right for me to go so I so I went did you like stay with him places or did you just like fly and then fly back no, I stayed with him the whole time. And this is what was so terrible. But I mean, it, it was bad. It was a bad trip. And if the thing that it did for me was it gave me like a fire to go back and to not be that person ever again in my life. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to be like such a, like a wet noodle and like a submissive, I don't like, yeah you know, like no spine, like nothing. And um, so, you know, she called me and then I called him and I was like, why didn't you tell her that we broke up? Like, I don't, I feel so uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. And he's like, she just, you know, I didn't tell her and she did this. And I didn't know that this happened. And it's like, okay, well, let's, let's make it work. Like, let's go, like, it's already done. Let's, let's do it. So I found us a place to stay. And I did like all of the logistical planning. And I mean, we broke up for a reason. Like we were not a good, we're not a good match. And traveling, especially internationally with people is like such a revealing thing. And he was really shitty. Like from, we flew uh, July, 2001. So yeah. And, uh, I, I brought a backpack and he brought like eight bags of luggage and we got, and so this is before 9-11. So like our families could come up to the gate with us and he, like his whole family was like bringing these bags 
And it's like, where are we going to put, like, who do you think is going to carry this stuff? Yeah. It was me. So we got like, once we landed there, he had been studying for this trip and preparing for it. And he was like, you figure out how to get to our hostel. It'll, it'll be good practice for you to learn French. Oh, wow. That's so fucked up. Yeah. So that's where, we, and then I was there for three weeks with him. And then I was still so like such a baby. I, I didn't, we were staying 20 minutes outside of Paris at this amazing like hostel, but we had our own room and it was more of like an international living space. It wasn't um, so more like long-term rentals and really cool people from all over the world. And I feel like this was an abusive thing for him to do too, but he like never got over his jet lag. So he would sleep until like 2 PM every day. Oh my God. And I, the whole time. The whole time. And I was like so excited and I would like wake up in the morning and then I would go and like walk around the village until he woke up and then see like, do you want to go into Paris? Like, should we go to Paris and like walk around and it was, and then we would go in and then we would be, you know, and then it's like a, a, a nighttime thing. Anyway, it was very, um, very disappointing. And I can remember sitting like in this village that we went to, like, I didn't, I had the courage to like leave the room and like go walk around the village, but I didn't like have the guts to get on the train by myself and like yeah. go into the city and go sightsee and do any of that stuff. And I remember finding this like little lake with um, like willow trees and ducks and like very, you know, like a, like a French painting, like little benches. And I had my seat, like my little like CD disc man. And I had this album and I remember sitting there listening to it and thinking about like everything that I thought this trip was going to be and like what it would be to go to France and like how I envisioned myself and this situation that I was trapped in and like knowing that I was trapping myself in it as well and it it was all just so heavy and then I rem I remember all of these like lasts that happened um as our trip was winding down and he would like be nice or be sweet sometimes but also just like such an asshole like really such an asshole and and then I remember like getting on the plane and um because he was staying there for three like for three months as long as ever his like visa was good for whatever and I came home and I sat on the plane and I cried and I wrote like 25 pages in my journal and I listened to like the airplane radio station which played talking heads oh my god that's oh yeah because then like there was like really nothing to do on the planes back then like you couldn't just like watch whatever you wanted on the back of the person in front of you seat which is like you know maybe things aren't so bad no maybe they're not just as a side note it's definitely an upside it's an upside to uh yeah <laughs> I love being able to watch the movies and do whatever I want on the plane anyway me too instead of like reading you know you, you read your book you listen to whatever music you brought you write and crying and having a panic attack oh yeah just I really let myself feel the drama of it when I was coming home yeah 
And then when I flew into Vegas and we, cause there's the Paris hotel there. And I like saw the little dinky Eiffel tower. I started crying again, I cleaned that whole flight. Oh, sublime. The way that you can, I, I'd, I'd give anything to be 19 years old, weeping on an international flight. <laughs> I mean, I literally, honestly, I can't believe it's just dawning on me and it's shocking that you really do only get to live once. <laughs> like, it's shocking when you get a little bit of time and perspective and you're like, oh my God, like, this is it. <laughs> like, I'm not going to live forever and I'm not going to be young forever and I'm never going to get to do this again so fuck shit yeah oh fuck exactly I felt like that was that whole trip was kind of a wake-up call such a letdown in every way and I hold myself to blame him his mother but we also like I also got into this like weird pattern with him where you know, I, I'm, I'm a morning riser, even if I'm in a bad mood, I'm waking up early and I would like walk around the village and I would like go to the store and, you know, buy groceries. And then like, I would be made, I would like make food by the time he woke up. And I remember him like not liking the cheese that I bought and that like sending me into this, like, oh no, he didn't. Even then it's so stupid. It's like playing out some like middle-aged domestic drama yeah on this trip like why why I know I know I feel like that part of me is completely gone like me too thank god guys like just being like oh no he might not like this thing that I got him or like he might not like what I made or he might not think that what I like is cool it's like I don't give two shits I literally don't and they're all losers sorry (laughs) like I don't care what like I can't believe that I used to be so afraid of things like that of like displeasing a guy yeah and because it all felt so like tenuous and I don't know it's not like you're raised to be I mean, I'm, I guess I'm speaking myself, but it's it's not like you think you're, you know, God's gift or whatever, when in fact you are. <laughs> yes. No, you are. Like, it's it's so crazy when you're like, it's it's really upsetting and sad how much like young girls like devalue themselves and don't understand and I remember when I was in high school my best friend was a guy like a straight guy and we were just like best friends and we're still really good friends and I remember him saying to me like you do not understand how much power you have like girls have so much power and you just don't get it and I was like Mm, no you don't not me like he, he doesn't mean he doesn't understand that I don't actually don't he's talking about other girls he's not talking about me but I he was ta- he said you he wasn't saying like he wasn't like saying like every other girl except for you he was like you and all the girls and I just like I still think about that sometimes and I was like I did I can't believe I didn't understand that yeah it's like 
it, it, it's just like a, one more fantasy or like one more lie that society tells you and like it's but it's weird because it's like you feel it like you, true yeah because it's it's true but it's like you do feel powerless and in a lot of ways you are extremely powerless like people will be like oh fuck you, you stupid little bitch like they will it's like people don't treat you like a goddess they treat you like shit yeah and then so you believe them of course you believe them because you think like somebody's always hotter than you cooler smarter richer more fun whatever yeah all the things but yeah. I mean I think about like the last night that I was there and I made him go to this nightclub and I didn't have nightclub clothing but I did have like this shiny pink sports bra kind of like a sports bra that I wore just on its own like with a skirt like a travel skirt I mean I must have looked like such a crunchy you probably look amazing I think I did look amazing but I also think it's like oh yeah that girl is staying at a a hostel (laughs) you were that's great like that's fun isn't that it is so fun but I because I was also 19 so I wasn't like old enough to go to nightclubs in yeah like in the United States and I remember walking through there and like walking in front and he was like trailing behind like the fucking dork he was and I remember like all the heads turning and being like oh I look good and people recognize it and this is like his problem and then I remember just being like I want to dance and like going to the dance floor and being like so sweaty and I still like feel how that felt and I don't know it just and that was in that was the night that we we stayed up all night and caught like the morning train to go back nice to the place and that and that felt like a good farewell and that was your last night and that was my last night and I left the next day so good it was good he uh I, I think I, I only saw him like one more time after that happened because he he stayed and I think he went to Ireland or something. But I remember him calling me after I had been gone like six weeks or something. And he was like, I'm, I, I thought about everything that I did and I thought I was such a jerk and that I'm like, re- I'm like ready to have you back. And I was like, no. I moved on. I had like moved on. I'm like, don't you even know this cathartic journey that I've been on? Why are these people like, oh, like I can just whenever I want, just be like, oh, come back. I actually do want you back. And you'll just come back. Yeah. And you're like, oh, great. I'm sitting here waiting for this call. Like, fuck you. But it's, you know what? It's so funny. It's like always as soon as you're over it that they're like, let's get back together. It's as soon as you don't want it anymore that they do. It's so terrible. Because uh, they can like tell, you know what I mean? It's like, there's like a way that it's like, you can tell when someone, even if you're not like talking, like, I don't know, you can feel it when they're like, they've moved on. Yeah. And then you're like, wait, wait, wait. You're like, wait a second. <laughs> wait, wait, what about you're me? You're over me? No, no, no. <laughs> Impossible. You? Me? But uh... it happened. <laughs> <laughs> I did in preparation for this thinking about it I did look him up I tried to see like where you know where is he now because he was one of those guys who um 
like thought he was so smart he didn't need to graduate high school like did his like remaining credits as a uh like a correspondence class and then never did the correspondence class and thereby never graduated from high school oh my god and then Ever? even then and well i mean i guess he must have now because he has like a fancy research job but okay. at like university applied physics Ugh. yeah I mean, validating in a way i don't appreciate yeah um so I'm sure he did, but I that was another thing where I was like, you have to fill out your correspondence class. And I remember like doing part of it for him. It's like, oh God, the years that you spend being a, just a sucker. Like it sucks to a think sucker. about a sucker. <sighs> so that's what this music makes me think of. It makes me think of like the, it, it is so teenage to me and it's so, it's sad, it's hopeful, it's sexy and romantic, it's disappointed, it's like all, it's all of those, it's all those things. And I never actually watched the music videos that went along with this until later. And I love them. But when I hear it, I have like a very visceral reaction to this period of my life. Yeah, it's funny because I do too. So I'm like, I'm a couple of years younger than you. And so, wow, Aggie. Wow. Well, I just, I'm trying to transition into my air subtopic. I tried to serve so, you up. <laughs> Wait, what? I tried to serve it to you a little. You did. You served it to me on a silver platter, and I love it. Um, but like the, so the, the first time I ever heard of air was when this movie Virgin Suicides came out in the year 2000 which is when I was a sophomore in high school and I this movie was like the movie that everybody wanted to see at my high school like this was the type of movie that like I dreamed would exist and didn't and it and and something like this finally happened like from the trailer everything about it I hadn't read the book I'd never heard of the book I didn't know what it was but I was anticipating it um because I auditioned for this movie um I know it was um something that I thought about a lot because I think I should have auditioned for the role of the youngest sister because I was 15 when it came out and so when the audition happened I think I was like 13. Yeah you you would be a perfect Lisbon girl. I think I would have too I think I would have been a perfect for the youngest one. Yeah she's heard. the one who tries who slits her wrist at the very beginning right? Yeah and then she jumps on the fence and like gets impaled on it. Ruins and she the party. She's the first one. Yeah and she says she has the iconic line from the movie. Obviously doctor you've never been a 13 year old girl. So See, if they gave me that line, I would have booked. They didn't. They had me read for the um, Kirsten Dunst part, which I believe Kirsten Dunst was probably already had it at the point that I was reading for it. I can't imagine that she didn't. She is so perfect in that movie. She I is, love her relationship with Sofia Coppola. I love her Marie Antoinette too. But I just recently rewatched Virgin Suicides and she is... absolute perfection she is okay at this point in my life 
Kirsten Dunst was like, I saw her the way that like these teenage boys see the Lux girls. Like she was perfection because she wasn't like, like I, I didn't like Britney Spears. Like I didn't like Christina Aguilera. Like I didn't worship pop stars like that. No. I wanted like artists, like young women who I thought were like deep and beautiful artists. Me too. I was obsessed with Natalie Portman because she was like, you don't get to put your words on me. I will write my own 17 magazine piece yes. about what I think is important in the world. And I was and like, for Oscar in a closet. That's right. Anna Paquin, right? Oh, that was Anna Paquin. Yeah. Never mind. But Anna Paquin, she's artsy too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst, and she was this person who like, so I grew up in an art, I went to an art school in LA. And there was this kind of network of like social, like teenage and young early 20s socialites that were like, kind of always in my orbit that I never quite got like I I I would get invited sometimes somehow to like a party at someone's house Mm -hmm. or like occasionally get wrapped up in a group of girls where we would be hanging out late or early or like we would end up as a group going to like someone's apartment and we would be like involved in it but I never was like cool enough or stylish enough or like socially mature enough to like really penetrate this inner circle. I was very much on the outside of it, but I, I idolized these people and it was like, they were very connected to the Coppola's. So like, it was like Jason Schwartzman and his brother, Robert Schwartzman, who were in these bands called well, Phantom Planet was Jason Schwartzman. And then his younger brother was in this band called Ed Rooney that later became Rooney. Right. Also kind of on this scene was another band called Kara's Flowers that later changed its name to Maroon 5. <laughs> and is I've now Maroon 5. <laughs> but they were like this like teenage band that I used to go see at the Roxy with Phantom Planet like in the like late 90s or early 2000s. And um, she was like the, she was that person to me. Like she was like the popular girl in high school, although she didn't go to my high school and was older. But like, I just like was obsessed with her in this way that was like dark and disgusting and like deeply (laughs) jealous. (laughs) But like, I wanted to be her. So anyway, this movie came out and I, I couldn't stop thinking like, why didn't I get to read for the younger part? Like how cool would it have been if I was the younger sister? You, that would have been the coolest thing ever. I never would have met you though. So no, you would have, I mean, the, who was the girl who played the youngest sister? Like, we don't know who that is. She could easily have like moved to Chicago and been like an improv person that like that tracks. Once Hollywood got a taste of you, Aggie. Hollywood had a taste of me. <laughs> Get it out. They were like, sorry, bitch, Kirsten Dunst is doing this. Um, and I, I met her one time at someone's house. Really? I did. I saw her smoke sitting outside smoking at La Poubelle once and I felt very happy about it. See, like, why is she at La Poubelle? Like, God, 
see i'm still tortured by her even though she's got to be in her 40s now she's not she's uh and she's with um she's with jesse plemons oh yeah <laughs> um i want to show you this picture of jesse plemons baby like it is so funny i'm gonna drop this in the chat for you okay great oh my god <laughs> this baby here let's see it there <laughs> he looks so pissed off <laughs> he does his name is ennis 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 howard i love him they are such a perfect couple to me they really are they're very well, aryan very yeah very very what you, they need to wear a lot of sunscreen and i really recommend that they do it yeah and put it on the baby too start them young i'm sure they are God, I hope so. I mean, I, I'm not convinced. No, you never know. You never know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like the fact that these people existed, but were like also making like actually cool things just drove me completely insane. And like also gave me this like idea of like who I wanted to be like the same way that you were with Paris. That was kind of how I was with like my own surroundings, I guess, because I, I, I wanted to make movies like this and like I wanted to make art like this like I wanted to be like I wanted to make be like Sofia Coppola basically yeah at that point. and um the soundtrack was so like I was I was I became obsessed with the soundtrack because of its connection to this like scene and this like group of young artists that I like idolized and worshipped in LA and because Sofia Coppola, like, I, I don't know that I would have even like picked this or like even understood it, but it was just because Sofia Coppola picked it for her movie that I became obsessed with this band. And that was my reasoning. And it's such a, like, the music is so haunting. And even on Moon Safari, there's like a retro quality to it. It feels kind of like 60s at times. It feels little 70s. It feels futuristic. Like it's sort of, it, it's more, um, it like bounces around time periods and just allows it to be sort of ambient. But this music in particular, it's, it feels very teenage. It feels very, um, I think that this mu music is totally timeless. Like, I think that it sounds exactly like something that it, it makes me think of the seventies and it makes me think of like the year 2000 at the same exact time. And like, yes. it feels like those two exact periods of time, even though like I wasn't alive in the seventies, it, it makes sense for the seventies. Like it takes me there. I and totally agree. And it also has an eerie quality to it. And it feels like it, it feels the way that movie feels like, the there's something it's like it's the it's potential getting like cut short it's it's like i don't it's know like that but it's it's in like the best possible way because it, yes. it has this like element of like longing and there's like a sensuality or like maybe a like a burgeoning sexuality like in the music there's like passion in the music and it's all kind of like muted by this like eerie coolness like it's so cool it's so detached 
Yeah. It never fully reaches its potential, but it does it by being like too cool to get there. You know what I mean? Like it never like goes crazy. Absolutely. I wish that you were writing for our new blog, which is called Pitch Pork. (laughs) And all we read, the only two CDs that we recommend are the, these two air, albums only that's it those are our recommendations I yes yes. comment rate and subscribe (laughs) five stars five stars only um yeah I I completely I completely agree and uh I think that that is a like a a feature of their music and what was so appealing to me about Moon Safari 2 and I think what must have been so appealing to her and what made her like connect with them to make the score for for the movie also the album art is gorgeous so fucking beautiful i want to see a hundred tattoos of that please yeah like why don't see i should have gotten a tattoo of it i should have been like because now if that came out these girls would have tattoos of that yeah but i don't think people got tattoos of stuff as as easily as they do now no, they didn't. And I, I I don't think that it could come out now because the title would be censored. I think that there would have to be like um, some sort of like conversation about like what is going on within the movie. Like it is, it's a real moment in time. And I also feel like there, I, I exited high school with a tremendous sense of like foreboding and dread and thinking about like, maybe that's normal for people who are entering adulthood, like to be self-conscious, wondering, worrying, like, who am I gonna be? What's the world gonna be like? What am I, you know, like, what am I entering into? But my senior year of high school, Columbine happened. I feel like I was reading a lot of like Noam Chomsky for the first time. I was like getting sort of indoctrinated into these other ideas, reading like Howard Zinn or whatever, thinking about there's a a reality that is different from what I have been told my whole life or has been sold to me. And um, I felt like I was having an awakening and it turned like that, that was a period before things really went bad in this country. And like, maybe that feeling was justified and like, wasn't just teenage paranoia, but I feel like that movie addresses that feeling in a really tangible way. And the music is such a perfect complement to it. Yeah. Where it's like, it is that exact feeling where it's like, you have these constant butterflies in your stomach. You kind of feel like something terrible is going to happen. You kind of feel like the present moment is awful, but you're also incredibly excited. And you're also like very interested in everything around you. And you're also like, have this feeling that like, this might be the best period of your life. And that might be horrible. Like it's a very it's like a, it's a very strange feeling. And I also think that all of the um, menacing, like green smog in the movie, the, the debutante ball with the gas masks and the, where the theme is asphyxiation and the, um, the tearing down the tree in the front yard, the, the, yeah, it's like, it, it was all like, it all came out yeah, like it came out like right before 9-11 happened. It was, I guess after Columbine, but it was, um, it might, she might've been 
like tapping it because it because it was it's about like it said in Detroit like right as they're losing their um, like the automotive industry is like losing its like grip and like people are like becoming like economically um, like more and more desperate. Um, is and that's kind only- of like oh sorry you go ahead. I was gonna say like that's kind of going on in the background and I feel like there might have been like a cultural anxiety that I wasn't aware of at the time because I was 15 or six I was 15 when it came out so like I might not have known what like Sofia Coppola in her like late 20s was was making a movie about entirely you know but it's it it's tangible and you 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 feel it you feel it in like the claustrophobia of the spaces that they have and like the oppressive relationship they have with their mother and how like that heightens throughout the movie and yeah I mean it's it's very relatable as a teenager like a teenage any I feel like any teenage girl would see themselves in these girls or like in this story and relate to it um I wonder, I feel like the older I get, the less I watch movies to see like myself reflected back to me or like to have someone explain me to myself. I'm like looking at things like more broadly. And I feel like the best move, cause I didn't rewatch this movie to talk about this soundtrack, which maybe I should have, but um, I do feel like, um, there I wonder if there's like a, a broader like cultural implication that I wasn't picking up on at the time because the way you watch things when you're young is like this girl looks cool I want to look like that this is what I want to do that boy is hot that band is cool oh I have to get into that oh I have to start dressing like that oh I have to start getting into that and dressing like that like that's how I watched movies when I was a of teenager course. yeah of course of course and Sometimes and like I even wish their spaces I and you're like, oh my God, their room is so cool. And I, I want like, like, I want to get that poster. I want to get that, whatever. Like I wanted to get the stuff. Remember when they, and them and the boys are uh, playing records back and forth for each yes. other. It's like that kind of stuff. It's just like, I don't know, sweet and magical and, and, yeah. and they're, and also like isolated. And, and that was how I felt. I felt like incredibly isolated. There's also a feeling that like those girls are like the house is too small for all those for all those girl bodies turning into women and they are like busting they're, they're busting like busting out, out. they like want to get out and they can't and they like have this feeling that they're never going to be able to so they just like cut and run. Yeah. It's like but but because the movie is from like the pers- and the book are, are both from like the perspective of like these older men who like idolized them and like sexualized them and like maybe built them up to something that they weren't like I think I read a quote was from Sophia Coppola that I'm like sort of paraphrasing but she said this is all from their memory so things aren't exactly where they really were like what you're seeing in the movie isn't really how it happened it's how these boys as men are remembering it and that even though it, it is like f- more focused on the girls lives than the book was it's very like female focused and like girl focused which is why it's so great um yeah and I think that that's the first time I was aware of um a a different like a filmmaker adapting something with a specific point of view because I had read the book and I loved the book and 
was so excited to see the movie and the way that she enhanced the story and um, showed like more of their private world and their space and like showed things that only a woman could really have access to was mm. was really awesome and exciting to me. And I remember my mother going to see that movie and her like not really having words to articulate how she felt about it, but being very disturbed by it and watching it again just a couple weeks ago and uh, kind of like paying special attention to Kathleen Turner, who's so good. And James Woods is really amazing in that movie too. There, that, mu that must be really fucked up to watch as a parent, <laughs> like how they're, like how they handle that. And like that at the, at the end, it's like, yeah, they don't, they don't have their daughters anymore. Oh, it's horrible. I mean, I, like, I definitely felt up like, thing like it was a tragedy at the end. Like I felt yeah. so like they're, they have nothing to show for their lives at the end of it. And I had, my mother took me to the audition for the movie and cause they were like recruiting from my acting class. So I like was taking this acting class in the Valley and they like wanted like teenage girls to come. So I went and um, even though I was not a teenager yet when that happened, um, maybe I was a young, an early teenager. Anyway, she was like, I don't know. She was like, this movie sounds like trash. You don't want to be in this. She goes, I don't remember what it's called. It's called the, like the, the suicidal virgins. And it's about a bunch of virgins who kill themselves. And I was like, oh, okay. She's like, this is stupid. And I was like, okay, like whatever. Like, and I, I didn't know, I had no reason to expect that it would be like actually good. The, from everything I saw, I had no, I to fully thought that it was like, some completely trashy like lifetime like drama like oh, like melodramatic teenage thing which it which it is but in a good way it is but like the most um diamond tier version of it is this the only um movie of Sofia Coppola's where she explores like a class that is not like super privileged like they are a working class family and I yes, can't think I if, do think if there's so. another and example. I do think it is. And I think that looking back on it, that gives me kind of pause when I think about this movie because I I, I watched like a little making of this for this. And it's just like Sofia Coppola at the age of 27 directing this movie with her father, Francis Ford Coppola, literally like on set, like talking to her, talking her through everything. Like just, I mean, I'm sure he wasn't there every day, but like in this behind the scenes thing, they're like totally together. She has her brother comes and does all the second unit. Her cousin, who's Robert Schwartzman, who was the guy I told you about from the band that I mm -hmm. loved it comes to do a part in it and I just re just thinking about all of that like this huge network of incredibly privileged people coming together to tell this like story of like Detroit suburbs like it gave me and and portraying it as this like disgusting like infected toxic environment that they're they would never even set foot in it really made me kind of sick um 
and I, I'm not like a, I do have like a lot, I don't, I would never live in a suburb and I never have. And I can't pretend that, you know, I was raised in like a working class suburb because I wasn't, I was raised in like a, a nice neighborhood in Hollywood. Like I was not like a Detroit person either, but like, a, I feel like there's something that seems like ubiquitous and like relatable and like American about suburban life, but it's not like she, these people have no idea what they're talking about in terms of class. And, and it, there is like a class element to this that gets, that just kind of like acknowledged and brushed aside in this movie. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not her experience. And I think what she based on her other movies, like what she's really good at exploring and expressing is loneliness, isolation, um, you know, being cloistered in some way. And I think because she didn't write the book that it's based on, um, it's, I don't know, I don't, I don't have, I don't have any feelings about the about that aspect of this like I think it it's an interesting thing to talk about or or notice but I like that the rest of her career like she's not trying to you know tell the story of the working man because obviously like she has no um, no and that's not her experience and that's not what she's interested in I think and I do think the book does like deal with the class element a little bit more than the movie does I read I saw the movie you know several times first time in high school I read the book in college I don't remember it that well but I definitely felt like I had like a more like holistic view of this world and like these like especially like the lives of these boys as they grew up and like the the people around like how these girls were this like special thing in this like otherwise like very bleak place um yeah which it, it in the movie it feels like these like magical girls are trapped in this bleak place but the book is feels like we're in this bleak place and we just like have all our hopes tied up in these like beautiful young virgins who died <laughs> like an opposite view you know yeah and the yes the, and just like the feeling that they maybe have access to something that the boys like can't ever see or understand or you know yeah it's beyond their their grasp did you Can ever see Sofia Coppola's short film she made before this Lick the Star I did yeah when when I was like obsessed with her but that was me too I feel like it it like aired on the Sundance channel yeah I feel like I had like someone had like a VHS tape of it or something like that mm-hmm. um well, I feel like I should say that I, for the, for the, um, sp- in the spirit of the pod this week, I'm drinking Sofia Coppola wine yes. by the can, a little Brut Rosé. I'm drinking LaCroix by the can because I don't, I'm not with physically with you, but can, I'm sorry, can I read something back to the class issue really quickly that I yeah, 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 yeah. I would love nothing more. Um, so I found this actually really great essay about this movie called Playground Love, Landscapes and Longing in Sofia Coppola's The Virgin Suicides by a guy or a gal, I'm not sure, named Sam Savage. And Sam Savage quotes another writer named Susan Stewart. Mm -hmm. And um, Susan Stewart's talking about the suburbs. And uh, Sam says that uh, Susan's writings on suburbia are particularly resonant. Uh, when talking about the movie and these are um, 
Susan Stewart's words from this essay. Um, Let me begin with the invisibility and blindness of the suburbs, the absence of the landscape of voyage. The suburbs present us with a negation of the present, a landscape consumed by its past and its future, hence the two foci of the suburbs, the nostalgic and the technological, a butter churn fashioned into an electric light, a refrigerator covered by children's drawings, the industrial park, that's in quotes, the insurance company's campus, also in quotes, here is a landscape of apprehension, close to nature and not consumed by her, close to culture, close enough to consume her. To walk in the suburbs is to announce a crippling renunciation of speed. In the suburbs, only outsiders walk, while the houses are illuminated stages, scenes of an uncertain action. These over-apparent arrangements of interior space, confusion, and distance mark the light. Whoa. I thought that was really interesting. Who wrote that? That's someone named Susan Stewart, who is quoted in a in a longer essay about the Virgin Suicides, and the uh, uh, which is by Sam Savage. Oh wow! I would uh, I'd love to read that piece. I would love to read it too. This was just a a quote that was used in discussing like the setting of this film, but I feel like that exact feeling is what's captured by like Sofia Coppola's like version of the suburbs in the movie like this crippling apprehension that she talks about where it's like you're close to something but you're never there and it's almost like in this movie are the is the idea of like the suburbs being almost something that they're not like in this like constant state of anxiety because they're never really one thing or another is that a metaphor for like the experience of like adolescence and becoming an adult or becoming an adult woman or is like this like trauma of like adolescence like a metaphor for this American anxiety of like living in this dual existence where you're you're constantly trying to be something that you're not like it I feel like the two things go hand in hand really nicely um but I'm not and I feel like that, like the hint of that is why this movie is kind of like mesmerizing and stays in your head. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And when um, when I lived in Vegas, I feel like that is the most suburban place I ever lived. Like you've been to Vegas. Once you get off the strip, it is just <clears throat> a big suburb. There is that that feeling of apprehension and potential that you might not ever realize I think that being in Vegas also really heightened that feeling for me. And I mean, I was so lost. Like I thought, oh, I know I'll move to San Diego and like learn a computer thing. And I'll just like, I'll like work at a computer place and then I'll have enough money to like have an apartment. Like I was, I couldn't see, I wanted a huge big future for myself, but I could not I couldn't see with any clarity, like where I actually was and like the path to getting to where I wanted to go. And I, this movie to me, it, it, and the book as well, like, it feels like it articulates that feeling in a very um, heightened symbolic way. And like, that's what the suicides are like, taking that anxiety to its like most extreme conclusion yeah and it's why it's so satisfying to watch and it and and why it's like unnerving and 
and upsetting and also exhilarating like um this to me like this movie is so excellent and so awesome and uh, I think it's such a it's bold for all of the reasons that you described like this period of history feels extremely masculine even with like the pop stars you mentioned Britney Spears or um, Christina Aguilera any of that like those women were you know genetically engineered <laughs> to like appeal to to men and yeah. uh it like that that is like the climate that all of this was existing in it's maxim and fhm magazine and like the beginning of um celebutants and all that stuff and this they serve beer in hell yeah exactly yeah. the tucker max of it all yeah. the the game that stuff this is like a real soft like you know femme core melancholy like like expression of just female disappointment yeah <laughs> and it's it, yeah it's, it really resonated it's great yeah I mean it meant so much to me when I was a teenager and it still does and yeah that Marie Antoinette was mm. fucking amazing like That's I an all-timer for me five yeah. stars no doubt were you a Lost in Translation fan? I, what, that was kind of like when I started to have my, like, step back from Sofia Coppola. Like, I didn't hate Lost in Translation. It just, like, meant, I don't know. I just didn't respond to it the same way. Um, I really responded to that movie, maybe partly because of the experience that I talked about with being in France of just, like, you know, there's the be there's the being stuck. There's like the mother sticking you in your house, and then once you have the opportunity to spread your wings, like you find that like you're your own prison guard. I um, I don't know. I I really I really did respond to that movie too. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like understand that the I think like the cinematic representation of that that I responded to not that you can always respond to one was but um I don't know you might hate this movie but it Francis Ha was the one I that love Francis Ha that was that was like my I think version <laughs> of that of being like your own of just being like like your trip to Paris reminded me of like that her trip not obviously yours was very different but like that her trip to Paris in that movie was just something that like that was my experience like making something happen because of sheer force of will because that's going to define you and it just being this like total flop was like something I was that was how I you know, have felt I felt that when when that happened in the movie that that was like a sucker punch to my stomach because yeah. even though that was not how things went down, I related to the, the feeling of that. And I've that kind of like, it's just like big dreams and failure, like butting up against each other. It's yeah. so good. I, re I, re I love that movie. I love it too. And I think she's wonderful in it. And I think um, Noah Baumbach needs her. Oh, definitely. He's nothing without her at this point. Oh. Was he ever? <laughs> Good point. <laughs>
Better point. Um, I remember reading something about Sofia Coppola. You know, you were talking about her family connections before. And I remember reading about her because she was married to Spike Jones and Lost in Translation is in large part a comment on her marriage to him. Like her is a comment on his marriage to Sofia Coppola. Mm. But when Virgin Suicides came out, uh, she was not taken seriously at all. She had also been in Godfather 3, which had been like such a huge flop. And like, she was seen as like the poster child for Hollywood nepotism gone like horribly, horribly wrong for that movie. Yeah. And then when she did Virgin Suicides, it's like your Spike Jones wife, your Coppola's daughter, like she was only defined by the men that she was in proximity to. And I feel like she, she did like carve out a, like a niche for herself and establish herself as like a very good filmmaker in her own right. And um, it's good to just like remember that, you know, she wasn't like welcomed with open arms into the filmmaking community no I mean well she wasn't she wasn't she wasn't she had to actually be good it's like this is like the story of nepotism like they you actually have to be good if you're gonna be like respected but um I think the way this movie was made was she read the book and she wanted to make the movie and the she didn't have the rights and so she just wrote the script anyway and gave it to her dad and her dad was like oh the script is really good which it was yeah it was but she was like hey dad Francis Ford Coppola like here's my script can you help me like get get like the rights to this movie that like whoever owns you know what I mean like she was able to just sort of do that so like no she wasn't inter she was she didn't people didn't respect her and like I'm glad that because of that she was I'm glad that she was able to show them that she was like more competent than like most filmmakers working then or now. Like she, this was, this was like an insanely good movie. Like she's a very good filmmaker, like for sure. Um, but she was, op she was welcome in, with open arms in like other ways. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, yeah, the doors were open for her. It was, it was hers to lose. Exactly. And she didn't. And she didn't. She, she rose to the occasion. Yeah. Um, it, uh, for the Moon Safari, a couple of the videos are directed by Mike Mills, interestingly. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Who went on to do, of course, Beginners and 20th Century Women. Speaking of Greta Gerwig. I feel like these projects are like just packed with like cool people it's know? yeah like the coolest people that uh, that will ever live um well do you feel like we exhausted air i'm exhausted me too should we pick a new topic for next week yeah let's pick a new word do you want to do it or me oh yeah i'll do it i'll do it okay i'm so excited me too okay let's see here uh random word generator right yeah Okay, I'm going to randomwordgenerator.com. Uh, I am. It should be just be there. Oh shit, organization. Oh my God, that stresses me out. Do you want uh, another one? No, we have to do it. 
Organization. Mm-hmm. Organization. Okay. Well, Aggie. Okay. Irene. Another successful night. Couldn't agree more. And I got two cans down. Oh, I'm so fucking jealous. I wish I had goddamn fucking Stella. What's her name? Stella. You know what I mean? Sophia. Yeah. I don't. Pink, just like her movies. Yeah, like pastel cans of wine were cool, and her little cans of wine were this like cool New York things. Who were like, you can take it on the subway. They don't know it's wine, and they like, don't know it's wine. And that would like trickle down to you wherever the hell you lived, and you'd be like, oh no, I drink my Sophia out of the can too. <laughs> yeah, I'm teaching my improv class drinking Sophia out of the can. Yeah, why the hell not? Also, I just want to say that her like early morning scenes are the best ever the scene on the football team trip fontaine is his name josh hartnett right when when they go to prom and then they have sex on the football field and then he leaves her there and she wakes and like it's like yes and there's um in marie antoinette there's a I know exactly what you're going to describe. I know exactly the scene you're going to talk about. It's the best. It's like the night of her birthday. It goes all night. They watch the sun come up. It is that like cool blue early morning. The sun is like not quite over the horizon yet. Yeah. Uh, It just like so jealous. I want watching those movies during quarantine were the most like heart-wrenching bittersweet things because it just captures a feeling that you you know like nobody else can capture like i don't know who else is able to have that like that moment when the party's over but you just like don't quite want to go yet and i feel like that is the marie antoinette story like her whole thing is like the party is over like you are on your way to the best deal like your head is gonna roll but like right now, you know, drink your champagne and like buy your shoes and have your little bonbons. It's yeah. like, it's that, that feeling. And she just does such a beautiful job capturing it. She really does that movie. Yeah. Mm. I just, I just bought that movie. I'm going to have to watch it. Marie Antoinette. I got it on a double feature disc with little women from the nineties, little women. Oh, that's fun. I think it's the perfect double feature. I love it. I've been watching some of uh, Jillian Armstrong's earlier movies too from when she was in Australia. Oh, really? Yeah, she had, her first movie was called My Brilliant Career, which is really great. Yeah. And then she made this other insane movie called Starstruck that is like um, a really, you can only use the word wacky to describe it, Australian movie about a girl who wants to be famous. Oh my God. And it's from like the 80s and it's just very over the top, very fun. Mm, Well, it looks like this was a real female filmmaker podcast. Right. That's what we do here. Yeah. We support, we support women. Women Empowered women, empower women, guys. That's right. It's so true. Um, All right. Well, Aggie. Until next week. Until next time. Goodbye. Bye.